Hi everyone, my name is Alex and I'm the lead pastor of Courtright Church. I want to welcome you to our online service today, especially if you're someone who's not a regular in our congregation with us. We're glad you're here. Last week we started the new sermon series that's designed to help us reflect on all the suffering that's going on in the world right now. And basically over four weeks, this is the second week of the series, we're we're asking ourselves, what is a Christian response to suffering? What is the, the unique uh, resource that Christian faith and, and the Bible brings to the challenges that all of us face uh, when we suffer? And there are so many people doing that right now. We're calling this series Hard Pressed, and those two words are taken out of uh, Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth. Uh, he says, in that part of his letter, he says that we're like jars of clay that were broken and cracked, but we still have this incredible treasure within us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. So Paul says in these memorable phrases, he says, we're hard pressed, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. So you just think of those two words, hard pressed. It means that we're under pressure, like maybe never before in our lives. And, and that this is a really hard time that we can acknowledge and not pretend that everything's okay, that it'll soon be over, that uh, we just have to have a stiff upper lip, as my grandfather used to say, but that this is hard, this is difficult. But a big part of the good news of Christian faith is that we can find hope and meaning and even joy in our suffering. And we've had, we've celebrated Easter recently, and when we celebrate Easter, we say Christ is risen, and, and we see in the appearances that Jesus makes to his disciples, that he still has the scars on, on his body, on his hands and his side. And so uh, that suffering uh, reality is part of who he is even after the resurrection and who we are as the church all the time. Uh, these days, we need to hear God's good news about suffering more than ever. So hopefully this series on suffering isn't... Uh, taking us deep just into suffering, but also deep in the hope that we have in Christ. So today we're going to look at the story of Jacob, at the Jacob, uh, the episode in which Jacob wrestles with God and also uh, where he's afraid about what's coming in his life. Um, but before we open our Bibles, let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you help us this morning to understand your word? Uh, I pray that you would would fire up our imagination today so that uh, we can take the words of what we're going to read and that they would become an encouragement to us, that they would become a way for us of seeing whatever we're going through right now uh, through your eyes, through uh, your grace and your truth, that we would receive your hope as we ponder this story and what you're saying to us through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So a little bit of background, I think, is helpful, especially if you don't know the story of Jacob. Um, really quickly, Jacob, as we pick up what's going on, Jacob is waiting for his older brother Esau, who is coming to meet him for the first time in 20 years. And Esau has a major grievance with Jacob, and he's coming with a small army. And for all Jacob knows, Esau's planning to kill him. And Jacob is terrified, and it's the night before he's going to meet Esau, and that's when we start reading about this. So uh, if you can grab a Bible or pull up Genesis 32 on a screen, that would be great. Um, 
I'm going to refer back to some stuff that we're not going to read earlier in Genesis chapter 32, so it may be helpful to have a Bible open in front of you. So we're going to read starting at verse 22. So Genesis 32, verses 22 to 32. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok River. After he had sent them across, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, Please, tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as you've just heard, this is a story about two brothers. That's my story too. I have a younger brother named Kenneth. He's two years younger than me and he lives in Dublin, Ireland with his wife and their two sons. When we were kids, Kenneth and I fought a fair bit. I think all siblings do that, but maybe especially brothers. They like to get physical and wrestle around in their fights. I had a size advantage. I was a year and a half older than my brother, and, and so that helped. But then when Kenneth got to be about 16 or 17, he developed these really broad shoulders, and he had a bulk about him that meant the tables were turned. And when we did have fights that got physical, it was more interesting. Not that we had a lot of fights at that stage in our late teens and and into our 20s. My parents and my little brother moved to Boston right when I finished high school, and I saw less of him after that. But then I ended up on the West Coast for uh, theological studies at Regent College in Vancouver, and Kenneth was at uh, Microsoft in Seattle working there at the time. And so we got to know each other as adults at that point and developed this great friendship. In recent years, we've traveled together, just the two of us, and we've been able to renew that friendship as our kids have gotten older, and we've had the the liberty to to do those things. I really love my brother, but we still fight. He likes to get his way, and I like to get my way, and sometimes we butt heads as a result. If you have siblings, you know that brothers and sisters fight, especially when they live together, especially when they're right there in your face all the time. Maybe you can relate to that right now. Maybe that's what your living circumstances are like in your family. So whether we have large families or small ones, whether you're living with your family members or whether you're living alone and you're separated by your family by distance or by death, we've all had conflict in our families. 
I was talking to a friend of mine this week and, and he has a large family and he was saying how great it's been to meet with family members online, whether it's a, a Zoom meeting video or just chatting online with people. And, and then he said uh, also that they have to be careful in his family because sometimes you don't want to invite all the family members. If you're inviting one person, then you don't invite someone else. So you have to be strategic about it. And, and that reminded me just how complicated families are, um, that you have to have some people excluded at times, or you may feel like that. So family is complicated. And here in Genesis 32, we have a story about a situation in a family that got complicated and a story of suffering in particular. I've told you a little about my family, about me and my brother. Now I want to tell you a story about two other brothers. It begins badly. It begins with two babies pushing each other around in their mother's womb. They're unwilling to share that space with each other. And the conflict continues at birth too. Esau, the older brother, comes out first, but Jacob isn't content to let that go. He comes out grasping his older brother's heel as if he's trying to pull himself ahead. The twins were a blessing to their parents, but it was already clear that this was going to be a complicated blessing. There are lots of ways we use this word blessing. It's kind of a churchy word. I think it's a little weird to a lot of people in our culture today, but, but we still use it. Sometimes all it takes is a sneeze, right? We say, bless you. We don't always think about it. In fact, maybe we usually don't. What is a blessing. And this morning, I want us to, to ponder that a little bit. We know blessing is something good, and so we want that. We want to be blessed, but what does that really look like? Um, what is God offering us when he gives us a blessing? So we're going to start by looking at blessing in the Old Testament, and then we'll zero in on Jacob's uh, episode of wrestling here, and we'll do that by considering four parts of the action. First of all, the initiative that God takes in relation to Jacob, then Jacob's response. Um, then there's this turning point, the, the TSN turning point, if you will. Maybe you're starved for sports right now. Well, there's plenty of action in this text. And then finally, we'll look at the blessing that Jacob receives and we'll ask ourselves, is there a blessing for us too today? So in the Old Testament, there was no separating family and blessing. God had chosen a people for himself, and he'd established what's called a covenant with them, an agreement whereby he watched over them and he gave them his blessing. And the book of Genesis describes the way that God sets out to restore goodness to the world. After all, he created the world to be good. We talked about that a little bit last week as we looked at the story of Job and the origins, the history of suffering. Where does it come from? So God sets out to redeem the world, and it's going to take some time. And he does that by choosing a family, by taking a family as his own. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and their people, they became a nation called the Israelites. So when we think about those three, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jacob really stands out for me. For, for example, you have Abraham on that list. And Abraham was this extraordinary man of faith, a giant of faith, whereas Jacob was not. Jacob's name itself reminds us of how different he is from some of these giants of faith that we read about in the Bible. Jacob, or Yaakov in Hebrew, literally means he who grasps the heel. 
And it points to the reality that Jacob was grasping, that he was a liar, a schemer, someone who didn't have much faith. So you have to ask, why would God choose someone like this? Why would God pursue him and stick with him and want to bless him? We know that brothers had a lot at stake in the ancient Near East, in in that ancient culture. It was the oldest brother's birthright to receive the full blessing, which, which meant the family's money, property, the authority within the family, and also God's special promise. But the story of Jacob and Esau upsets those expectations. Jacob seems to have always found it hard to trust God. Both he and his mother, Rebecca, were ruled by a fear that life might not work out in their favor. And so they chose to take matters into their own hands. And Jacob tripped his father, Isaac, and stole the blessing that was rightfully due to his older brother, Esau. Now, you can imagine, right? Esau was furious about that, and Jacob had to run for his life. Whenever I read that story, whenever I remember that story, my, my first response is to be sympathetic to Esau and to feel this dislike for Jacob, who cheated his way into getting the birthright. How could God have allowed that kind of injustice? And so we see at the start of this chapter, the conflict continues. And you wonder if wrongs might be put right at this point. 20 years later, it's time for a little family reunion. Esau is coming to meet Jacob with 400 armed men. It's a perfect opportunity for him to get his revenge. Here in Genesis 32, we see how God shows up in our lives, how he engages us. We meet Jacob just as he's being forced to confront his past and to face up to his fear, some things that he'd avoided continually. Jacob had this anxiety about not being in control of his own life. And so he tried consistently to work things out, to be strategic, to arrange things to his advantage. He was always unwilling to trust God. I think all of us struggle like that. Our fears can preoccupy us at the best of times, but right now during this pandemic, it's like fear is in the air we're breathing. Most obviously, fear of this disease, fear of the virus, fear of death, but also fear for loved ones who are vulnerable, for our aging family members, fear for our children, our grandchildren, and for their future. We're worried about the economy and we're worried about losing our jobs, whether we'll have jobs. We're afraid of losing so much in different ways, physical things and relationships. We already feel like we've lost the closeness that we took for granted and enjoyed for so long. We're also afraid of not getting what we've hoped for, what we've worked for. Some of us see dates coming up uh, in the next week or two maybe where you had something special planned and it's not happening. Maybe it's later this summer and you're not sure if it's going to happen. There's a kind of grief associated with losing these things and the prospect of losing them. And then I think we're all of us afraid that at a deeper level that people will not accept us, that people will find out the things that we've hidden about who we are and that they will reject us. And so we hide from each other even as we hide from God. And and Jacob is someone who has done that 
throughout his life. And right now, at this key moment, we find him in the grip of fear. And God shows up in a way that Jacob can no longer avoid. And so the action begins when someone comes seemingly out of nowhere and tackles Jacob. Who is this man who wrestles with Jacob? Well, there's different interpretations. Some some interpreters have said that it was actually Esau who snuck up on Jacob under the cover of darkness. Others say that it was an angel or an avatar of God, or that Jacob was wrestling with his own fears, his own inner self. There's a whole school of psychoanalysis around that interpretation. My view is that we have to trust Jacob, who at the end of this passage says that he saw God face to face. And he's obviously referring to this wrestling experience he had with this mysterious man. But at first, it's very clear that Jacob doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know who has engaged with him. The Bible tells us that we can trust God, that God promises to be with us, especially in the darkness. But Sometimes we don't understand God. I think of that phrase um, from the passage we took the title for this series out of, that Paul says he's perplexed but not in despair. That perplexity, I think, is, is a fairly common experience for many of us in this walk of faith that, that we're on. So sometimes we don't know what God is doing. We're either we're not aware of his presence, we're not feeling like he's with us, we, maybe we feel abandoned by him, or maybe we continue to trust that he's with us, but we can't figure out why things are happening the way they're happening, and we have doubts that creep in. Why does God wrestle with Jacob here? I think it's simply because God wants to get close to him. God is always pursuing us like that. He wants a relationship with us. He takes the initiative. He comes after us no matter how persistently we try to escape from him and hide from him. And it's in our suffering that we're most open to him, which is strange because God doesn't want us to suffer. We talked about that last week. Suffering is not his intention for us. But somehow, when we lose things, when we are in difficulty, we seem to be more open to God's presence, more willing to turn to him. At the beginning of this pandemic, when we were still in shock about not being able to meet together as a congregation, we said that this was a wake-up call for us. We said that God was inviting us to wake up to him through this. Maybe it's time to check in on that. How, how are we doing? Are we more awake to the Holy Spirit now? Would you say that you in your own life have changed your practices, that you are hearing from God, listening to God, um, open to God more than you have been in the past? Are you considering how God may be inviting you to change, change the ways you're living, to be ready to respond to him once this pandemic is over once, at least once, we're able to go back to what people call normal. Some people say we'll never have the same normal again, but, but being able to meet together will be a big change and something we'll welcome. But, but what is God inviting us to consider making by way of changes in our lives? 
during our Good Friday service, we sang, crown him with many crowns. And, and there was a line, there's a line in that uh, hymn that really jumped out at me. The line that says, awake my soul and sing. And I, I'd, I'd never heard it that way before, but I think, I think that's what the Holy Spirit really wants from us in this season of suffering, this season of adversity. He wants us to wake up to who he is, um, to not disregard him as we're tempted to so often, but to listen, to lean in. Um, back to the story of Jacob. Maybe you can put yourself in Jacob's shoes as he wandered down to the river that night. The temptation to run must have been overwhelming because that's what he'd been doing his whole life is running from challenges, running from difficulty, running from God. But, but this time he's made the decision to stay. And it's no coincidence that, that that's when the action starts. Jacob has now put himself in a position to encounter God. He's not hiding anymore. I think some of us spend most of our lives avoiding God. I got an email from Netflix this week and it said the, the heading was rewind, re, replay, and rewatch. And that's what Netflix wants you to do, right? They want you to spend all your time watching Netflix shows and movies as their stock goes up. But God says, you can enjoy Netflix, let me be clear, but God much more wants us to not fall asleep in our lives, um, to not be distracted by so many distractions and to be awake to him. So Jacob is willing here. He's open to God in a new way. And that's clear if you go back in the chapter, he prays a prayer that maybe the first time he's prayed like this to God in verses nine to 12, where he acknowledges his own unworthiness and he asks God to save him. It's a simple prayer. It's a prayer that amounts to help me God. And that's where the spiritual life starts. That's where faith starts, with prayer, with honesty. It starts from a place of recognizing our own need. It's a cry to God for help. How are you taking steps towards being more open with God, being awake to what God is doing in your life and how he wants to bless you? One way we do that is in the community of the church, by sharing our struggles, not just the the facade of our lives uh, where we pretend everything's fine. You know, we say that often, right? How are you doing? I'm fine. Uh, and we need to with small talk, but we need also to have people, and this is especially what the church is for, people who we can confess the reality of our suffering and our struggles to. How are you growing in that? I realize that at this time of pandemic, it's hard to do that. We, we have neighborhood groups and a lot of us have been participating in those online groups every week. I don't know about you, but I'm probably less likely to share the deep private things, the personal things in my life online in a, in a meeting where I, all I can see are faces on a screen. But we also have opportunities with the people we live with or by picking up the phone to talk to people who we trust. And I hope there are people like that in this congregation uh, who are part of Courtright that you can turn to, or if you're not part of our church, that you have people like that who you can call, who you can reach out to. And maybe God is preparing you for when we can meet together physically to join a small group. I think we're all going to be so much more sensitive, appreciative, grateful for the opportunities to do that. 
So if God initiates this encounter with Jacob in the first place, the, the next thing is Jacob's response to God. The Bible tells us that God is with us, especially in times of crisis, and that God will wrestle with us as long as it takes. But we don't expect to be stronger than God, do we? But that's exactly what it says in verse 25. It says that when the man saw that he could not overpower Jacob. So what's with that? I don't really know what's going on there, but, but here's the thought that I had. I, I think that maybe God chooses to make himself weak in this encounter with Jacob. He, he does that, first of all, by taking on human form, but God could have been the strongest human ever. He could have taken on that form. Instead, he is weak enough that Jacob can overpower him, and he does that so that Jacob can get close to him. There's an incredible intimacy and a physicality to this wrestling, a closeness. It's kind of an incarnational moment if you want to think of it that way. It's, it's God in the flesh for the sake of Jacob. And it points ahead to the coming of Christ, that Jesus is the word made flesh who comes into the world for all people. In this case, Job's passionate response is exactly what I think God hopes for from any one of us. We sometimes talk about the importance of a personal relationship with Jesus, but it does not fall into our laps. We need to engage with God. We need to develop practices of reading scripture, of prayer, of meeting with others, of mentorship, both giving and receiving. That's how the wrestling practically happens in our lives and especially in the suffering that we go through. And so here we see Jacob engage with God in a moment of crisis. And you can imagine that over a whole nighttime of wrestling, Jacob not only becomes exhausted, but he also gets to know the one he's wrestling with in a, in a whole new way. And for Jacob, the turning point is dramatic. He resists God as he has for his entire life, but then something happens. God touches him and the pain is crippling. All of a sudden things change. Now Jacob has to cling to God from, to keep from falling over. He's no longer struggling in the same way. He's not struggling against God. Now he's depending on God, holding on to God for dear life. And that's when he realizes that he has to ask God for the blessing, that he can't arrange it for himself. I think Jacob had always assumed that God's blessing was the cosmic equivalent of a herd of camels, that it could be bartered over, that it could be bargained for, it could be purchased or stolen if need be. Perhaps it had never occurred to Jacob that he couldn't control a blessing like he couldn't control God, that he might have to wait for God to give it to him and that God's terms were the best possible terms that he might even be blessed in his weakness by being broken through his suffering rather than being blessed through strength and power, through wealth and success. To say that we are both broken and blessed is not a contradiction, not according to God's wisdom. But when do we usually say that we're blessed? We say it when things are going well, right? We usually say it when someone tells us how good we have it. Your job is so great. Your family is so great. You're so great in some way. Your personality, your, um, the things you've done. Your church is so great. Your particular gift is so great. Your life is so great. When we hear those things, sometimes we might reply, 
I know, it's such a blessing. But what if we've missed God in that? What if we're wrong about the assumptions we make about blessing? Because we know that Jesus came to serve, not to be served, but primarily to serve. He came to suffer with us. He, he came to give everything for us, to give his life. And we see that happen here as God renames Jacob, as God gives Jacob the hope that he had never had. As it's almost like he's giving Jacob faith as a gift as he renames the man. So Jacob goes from being the, the, the deceiver to being one who struggles with God and prevails. That's his new name, Israel. It means one who struggles with God and comes out in the end. Um, and so Jacob is changed. He's changed forever. And God treats us the same way. If we let him get close enough, we will come to know him better and we'll grow to trust him more. And most of all, we'll receive his grace. On the one hand, the Holy Spirit wrestles with us over a lifetime of ups and downs, of struggles and of seasons of plenty, even as we avoid him and then come back to wrestle with him all over again. But we also know that God renames us, that God forgives us completely once and for all at the moment when we're truly first open to him, when we recognize our need, our helplessness, our hopelessness, our sinfulness. He rushes in, he takes the past and he redeems us, redeems it, and he redeems us. And he promises to never leave us. So does God have a blessing for us in all of this? Yes, and I think it's in the invitation to wake up to him and to see him for who he really is. And there's always wrestling involved in that. And maybe for many, this is a season of, of that kind of um, new life in relationship to God. Jacob only receives this blessing when he stops running away from conflict with other people, when he faces up to a troubled relationship in his life. And there's an invitation there for us too. God doesn't encounter us in isolation. As we address how broken we are, the problems we have with others, the broken relationships in our lives, in our families, and as we seek reconciliation, as God leads us, we begin to realize that God is with us even when things get messy and complicated, maybe especially at those times. He breaks through to us and he blesses us. It's not what we expected. Instead, we limp away with a blessing. And we're surprised at who gets the blessing also. God doesn't follow the rules. The firstborn was supposed to get the blessing. God really should have punished Jacob after he stole the blessing from Esau. But that's not how God works. God extends grace to us time after time. He can use any one of us. He will use any and all of us. Take a minute just to think about the person in your family who right now you're finding it hardest to like, hardest to love, hardest to even be around. And then realize that God loves that person even if they're a really difficult person, like I imagine Jacob must have been. And your job, your invitation, is to follow God's lead, to forgive them and to love them too. Can you think of a situation like that in your family? Would you be willing to wrestle with God and to seek reconciliation through it? God comes alongside us when we wrestle. I want to tell you a story of that in my own life. I remember a time when Judith and I were wrestling with a huge decision. It was almost exactly 10 years ago. 
we were living in downtown Toronto and we were both blessed. We both loved our jobs. Judith was a 50 minute away from the school where she was teaching. And I was a six minute bike ride from the church where I was serving, where our family was very happy. The kids were happy in their schools. We loved our neighborhood and uh, things were, were going really well. And, and we didn't expect anything to change. But then God showed up in a way we didn't expect and didn't, didn't really want. We heard about a church in Guelph, a church called Courtray. And little by little, we started to get the idea that God might be calling us there. But we wrestled the whole way. We were sad to leave our community. It was a hard time. And then a box arrived in the mail. It was a box containing four items. It contained a pound of coffee from Planet Bean, a bottle of hot sauce, memorably named Ass Reaper hot sauce, yes, Someone sent their possible future pastor a hot sauce named Ass Reaper. It, it even came with a black cape and the, the lid was a skull. It was incredibly hot. I only finished it a year ago. This hot sauce lasted me nine years. There was also a can of beer, Wellington Dark Ale, but it was empty, sadly. And then there was this T-shirt, a T-shirt from Wellington Brewery here in Guelph, Canada's oldest independent microbrewery. I'm not getting any kickbacks from Wellington for this sermon, by the way. Someone at Courtright had gone to the trouble of finding out what I liked, buying all this stuff, and mailing it to us. For us, as strange as it might seem, that box and those four items in it were a sign. They were a sign that God was with us in our wrestling. So, and I think God sends us out like that. And I want to ask you today, how are you present for people in your life who are wrestling right now, who are facing maybe more difficulty than you are? How could you reach out to someone who is going through a hard time right now and encourage them by picking up the phone, by sending a gift, by doing something for them, maybe out of your own experience of suffering? All of us struggle to trust God and in return, to our surprise, what does he do? He gives us even more grace. Through Jesus Christ, God invites us to learn a new way, to set aside our pride and our privilege, to forgive the people in our lives who have hurt us, even to embrace our enemies and ultimately to lay down our lives. That's the real blessing. In order to become alive to God, to wake up to God, we have to die to ourselves. And so we're broken and blessed as we take up our cross and follow Christ on that journey. It's by his wounds, it's through his suffering that in the end we're healed. It's thanks to his death for us that we can have true life, eternal life. And the good news is that God doesn't wait for us to get all of that right. He takes us more seriously than we take ourselves. He loves us so much that he actually wants to wrestle with us. Why? Because he wants to bless us. Because God wants the very best for you and for me through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you that you are a God who does not give up on us. We thank you that you are always taking the initiative to wrestle with us. Holy Spirit, help us to respond to you. Lord Jesus, we praise you for establishing peace, for being broken so we could be blessed. 
and for calling us to follow you in our new life together. Renew our commitment to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.